0: Hello, listener. How's it going? My name is Ed Fortune, and you're listening to Starbursts and Fab Radio International's The Bookworm. I'm I'm your host, as you've probably gathered, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... The other host, Nympha Hayes. Hello. So we hope you've had a fantastic week, and we're going to be getting on with all sorts of new stuff. So what are you reviewing this time?
1: Ooh, The Fire Sermon by Francesca Hayes.
0: I've gone all retro Doctor Who-tastic. I've been reading The Droston's Curse by A.L. Kennedy. And it features the fourth Doctor, so it's all teeth and curls.
1: How pretty is that
0: cover? It's very, very pretty. And we've got the Ferret Steinmetz coming up. uh, The Ferret! the middle of the show. Uh, If you remember things like The Home Strange or even the open-source swishing project, then you'll know who the (laughs) ferret is. Um, We have our usual news and nonsense, and coming up next, we'll be talking about the world of books. Across the world, 24 hours a day. So, the uh, the strains of a Dr. Hugh tune will tell us that we in fact, into the news section. Not much has happened in the news this week, I don't think. I mean, it's been fairly quiet news. I'll <laughs> straight face. Let's get into some fairly happy news. Firstly, um, the Lincoln Telefantasy event, which I was unable to attend, even though I was invited, because I was not being distinctly unwell. Unfortunately, it was kind of it was kind of an arranged unwellness. Unfortunately, uh, but you know, get
2: that an NHS treatment. Well, you can. Yeah, oh, I'm well, sorry.
0: Well, exactly. So, and um, everything is fine. Those those of you who actually care. But <laughs> apart from that, uh, no Telefantasy event, from what I understand, was absolutely amazing. You had the the, the Brilliant people from all over the UK, uh, including um, people from Telos, Fiona Fiona Moore, who will get on the show at some point very soon. Mm. Uh, we had a chat. With, uh, we had a chat with her at the Sci-Fi Weekend. Um, oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get her on the show. She was there. A whole lot of people. It was great. Uh, on that same day, the Clark Award winner was announced. Mm. So, uh, Ninfa, you were you were all about.
1: Uh, I was all about. Um, uh, Oh, it
0: was Harry August, Dell was all about Harry yeah, August. Yeah, and
1: I was all about Amita and Just Memory of Water. And
0: I was all about Emily St. John Mandel, I seem to recall.
1: Mm.
0: And uh, Emily St. John Mandel won. Stop
1: so- being smug, fortune, it <laughs> does not become you. <laughs>
0: um,
1: He's not going to stop. I, 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 still, still, you know, nominations are still good.
0: Nominations are fantastic. I mean, Lauren has called it a firework of a novel. I mm-hmm. completely agree. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a slow burn at the start, and then it gets really, really good. And there's some surprise revelations as you get through. If you've not read Station Eleven, uh, read Station Eleven. It's actually perfect for this time of year as we head towards kind of summer holiday period. Yeah, have that have that on your 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 kind of your Kindle, or just have that while you're lounging. It's a great lounging book. It'll it'll make you want to probably hug members of your family. Um, you know, it's that sort of a book. It's fantastic talking about um, fantastic books. Um, is your book the next fantastic book? Because Tor have opened a submissions window.
1: Well, it's funny because I literally started writing a space opera novella like three days ago. So it's never going to be ready by the end of May. Curses. But it could have been. It's
0: Tw- twenty been. thirty thousand words. What are you doing?
1: <laughs> I know, I know. It's terrible. I'm to be fair,
2: I, I hate to tell you this, but I could actually knock out 30,000 words in a month. I have done before yeah, now. I have see, done this year. I
1: could if I didn't have, like about a thousand other things going on yeah and
2: and god forbid you could have you could have a job and family Uh, and any of that sort of stuff yeah Yeah.
1: so I mean it it took me six months to write um, to write Bites my my short stories um, anthology and that's two novellas at 30,000 words, and that was including editing and all of that. So there's no way I could knock it up. With I, it I should
0: clarify this maybe a little bit better. Tor, who are essentially a large publisher of genre books, yeah. um, they have announced that they have opened their submissions window for all the way through May, so it ends at the end of May. If you have a novella that's 25,000 to fifty thousand words mm-hmm. that, is, that, that is ready, you can send it in. They're looking for genre stuff. They're specific. Yeah, Space Opera and Cyberpunk are the things that they really want Mm -hmm. Um, I believe it's Mr Leah Harris is after um, Space Opera
1: See that's what I started and I think it's a really fun story
0: I, I've got I've got a space up for it on the boil as well, but I don't think it's going to be a novella. Mm. Anywho.
1: I do better with novellas. I,
0: I like I like the format. I must admit, I like the limitation to the format. But I like, I'm a short story boy, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and short, short snappy news pieces really, Mr. Fortune.
1: <laughs>
0: um, I'm a big fan of travels.
1: So yeah, if you've got anything ready that you think is tour worthy, we think is tour worthy, um, just, just go for it.
0: And good luck. Uh, in other news, let's let's get into let's get into this very briefly. Um, Tory win bad for big industry. Yes, it is. People, if you've voted, if you've voted Conservative, thinking it'd be great for business, <laughs> yeah. Uh, read more. Um, short version: uh, It's going to be bad for libraries. It's going to be bad for small businesses. If we pull out of Europe, it's going to be a bad thing for authors. And um, authors tend to live on the margins anyway when it comes to funding. And that's going to be bad as well we will move on Manchester bans homeless protesters from library, oh god we can't move on can we, it's everywhere right, Manchester council has stopped a group of homeless people using the library after they set up a, out, set up a protest camp outside um, the group set up a camp in the city after various measures have basically made it very hard to be homeless and in Manchester um, I walk past this every day um, and it's heartbreaking, and I have no idea what I can do to make you know make things work in the long term. So there we go. But that's something that's happening to a library that's just on our doorstep, and we felt that we should mention it. Also, the noise that's happening right now—if you think there's noise in the background—that's because there's a massive fun run happening outside our studio. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, oh, look! I can just hear. That. Was, that a, was that a gunshot of, of get off, get running people that
1: was just went off? I'm not sure. I think it sounds like someone's drumming. Oh yeah, probably. Like the like the drum. There's um, always someone drumming. Our, for those always of you who don't drumming. know, um, our, our our little radio is based in Manchester, UK. And today there's a massive Manchester run, so the city centre has been conquered by people in in running, you know, shorts and, and 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 running shoes with the little numbers, all ready to go. Hopefully, raise a lot of money for. For different charities which let's face it, right now it's a good yeah, idea.
2: Yeah, this is the one day on the year in which there are absolutely stacks and stacks and stacks of people outside our studio. Very often we come in and there's like four people and a dog yeah, and a bit of you know, it's Sunday morning, no yeah, yeah. wants
1: to be here. Um, but yeah, so so if you if you hear any noise in the background, welcome it as the sound of runners.
0: Uh, and I'd like to apologise to the man who is having a cigarette, c- a sneaky cigarette, with his friends outside our radio station as I yelled at him to, to <laughs> because I wanted to get into work I'd like to apologise but I can't because I'm actually an awfully human being
1: <laughs> so um, next news, nominees for the 2014 Shirley Jackson Awards have been announced
0: yeah there's some nice books in there, Book Monsters by Lauren Bukes uh, mm-hmm. is on for novel
1: mm-hmm. uh, I'm just looking through the n- nomination names I don't think there's much, let's have a look
0: Jeff Vandermeer for Annihilation also for be- is also for best novel quite mm-hmm. like that uh, Bird Box by Joss Mulliman Pe- people keep telling us to read that we really should again uh, we are on social media we are on Radio Bookworm on Twitter we are on Radio Bookworm on Facebook you can find us on Tumblr yeah message
1: us tell us we suck tell us we're tell amazing us we suck.
0: but you can also say
1: Ed 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 you haven't
0: mentioned this book that's up for the Shirley Jackson Award or you haven't really explained what the Shirley a Jackson room. Award is um, it's, a, it's a, an award for to honour exceptional work in the, the literature
1: psychological suspense horror and dark fantasy exactly mm.
0: um, let's see what else oh The Quiet Room baby. Uh, the quiet, quiet Room Quiet Room quiet, that's
1: what I just said The Quiet Room
0: oh um, where is it where is it Where is, it? Where is, it? Where is it? The Good shop, by Robert Shaw. Yes. Sharp yes uh, Robert Sharp of course being one of the guys who works for Penn. Mm. Um so yeah, that'd be that's kind of exciting for him. Um I think the last piece of news we have is about two thousand AD. And yes 2000
1: we do. Two
0: thousand AD in Rebellion who've abandoned DRM, They always they've.
1: have. Yeah. But yeah. they've they've extended it now to the apps and they're looking to include Kindle as well very soon. Where basically their their books have mostly been without, but some apps didn't support the the, the um, D-O-M the D-O-M um, not being there so they've now fixed that and are planning to just get rid of it completely because and um, quote they trust their readers
2: which is which is mm. fantastic well uh, done
1: treating people like grown-ups is Exa- yeah exactly you know you know this is copyrighted you know people are making their living out of it we trust you to you know be gentle with our work, be considerate with our work and enjoy it everywhere you go because, you know, you paid us some money for this piece of literature and we want you to enjoy it.
0: That's very 2000 AD. That's very... I mean, rebellion are are brilliant i'm a big fan of rebellion uh one of these days if i'm ever lucky enough to ever work for them i'd, I'd be absolutely honored and um, hint because oh, it's not it's not that <laughs> it's just that i keep looking at their consistently positive output and i'm a huge fan of all the stuff that they keep keep producing okay fair enough. and you know politics to one side some of the stuff that they've come out is staggering i mean you know Stating back from the the Ballad of Halo Jones, and then you've got Zenith, and then you've got Big Dave. Why is you're Big a, Dave?
2: you're a massive fan of the Ballad of Halo Jones? I'm I mean, a huge, huge fan
0: of the Ballad of Halo Jones, but it's just an example of the sort of thing that they do. Um, I just oh, blimey. Um, Kingdom, Dan kingdom is in there. There's a, there's an, uh, Never mind, Judge Dread. Let's, you know, we could, we, I could do an entire show just on my own, talking for an hour about Judge Dread's America. I'm not going to because Ninfa would stab me
1: <laughs> 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 on the halls of justice, but. I would do it for the people. (laughs) (laughs) Do you hear the people say...
0: (laughs) Don't get me started. (laughs) (laughs) Really don't get me started. So,
1: yeah, well (laughs) done, (laughs) 2080. Well done for actually being part of the revolution and heralding a new future, hopefully.
0: Shall we we get on with the bit where we talk about books? (laughs) Nah. So that was a bunch of adverts, so if you're listening to us on the podcast, that was this short space of us talking nonsense and laughing, followed by by me talking, saying that was a bunch of adverts. Talking of self-referential loops, I'm going to talk about Doctor Who, The Drosten's Curse, which is a strange novel in the sense that, well, it's the Doctor, so it's going to be strange to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um and yes, it's got strange loops of reality and change in it because it's Doctor Who. So, firstly, this is a fourth Doctor adventure, and I didn't know that when I started reading it. And there was a look of joy on my face when it, uh, then it when it described to me the smile, the curls, the scarf, the hat, the general look of Doctor Who.
2: For those of us who are not so quite obsessive, Edward, yeah. which one's the fourth Doctor? Tom Baker. Thank you.
0: Tom Baker being the one that everybody knows who's of a certain age who isn't David Tennant which is the other <laughs> one that
1: <I've> always, always <laughs> See, I, I, I was we were watching TV this morning while we were having breakfast and watched a Tom Baker episode whilst we were having breakfast uh, which was really dark oh, really, really dark Oddly enough drew, drew some form of like oh, yeah, yeah, cold yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah Really wonderful episode, but so dark. I didn't remember it that dark.
0: Strangely enough, this is like one of those episodes, like a classic dark episode Ooh. of of mid, you know, mid in his career as the Doctor style story. There's new there's new companions introduced. We meet mm. new
1: people. Oh, cool!
0: Um, yeah. So it's the Doctor on his own. So we know if you're if you're a massive nerd like me, this is not you
1: Romana.
0: No, Romana. This, this is this is a, this is a story that seems to be set. Um, after after the not After the key to time? Yes, after... Um, uh, whoa, I, I want to say assassins. After he's been to Gallifrey, after he's, he's have, had to leave Sarah Jane at home, gone to Gallifrey, ran around, done some things, had some... Actually, it does mention very briefly that he's had some very surreal adventures on Gallifrey and then continues on. Mm-hmm. So he's been on his own for some time. That's never good for the Doctor. It's never good for the Doctor. And he turns up to... Um, just this nice little golf course in Scotland. Mm. Oh, it's not like a holy one. It's this nice little place where you know it's a residential area and there's lots of people, um, you know, who enjoy who enjoy golfing. Yes, and there's this there's this lady and she's lovely and she's called Mrs. Fetch. And Mrs Fetch has these two twins who look after her at all times and she's obsessed with octopuses and she's had a lovely and rich life and she had a very long and rich life all sorts of adventures and stories in every way is catered to her and there is something desperately, desperately wrong in the town um, we get to meet some fantastic characters and some fantastic types it, oh, firstly, it feels very English it feels very South of England, Middle England you know, that that sort of you know, a general feel to it. I see it's Scotland, I'm not entirely sure where it is. It's that kind of, I think it might should be the South of England it's in, you know. Anyway, Britain. It's set in a part of leafy Britain where there's lots of trees, lots of grass. So is that that
1: sleepy countryside yeah, sort of quintessential British cup of tea, pub?
0: there's lots of cups of tea there's people who stop to have cups of tea yeah, and there's yeah. this girl yeah. called Byrony and she is bored she is bored and she's very inquisitive and she's very bored and she's very inquisitive did I mention there's something desperately wrong going on in the town Oh, there's something desperately wrong going on in the town has she been poking into it She's been poking into it. because She keeps forgetting to poking, poke into it because after she pokes into it for a while, some part of her brain stops her from poking into it.
2: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it, just, it actually sounds really interesting. And then
0: there's this, this young man who, whose surname is Patterson, but no one can quite remember what his first name is because it's changing. Uh, he keeps changing. And then we realise that Mr Patterson's golf club is not a golf club at all. It's, in fact a thermal lance, because Mr. Patterson is a space explorer who's been caught in a hideous trap. And a hideous trap, we could describe, maybe we could describe it as the Baal Chagall, maybe maybe we can describe it as a dread fairy tale, maybe we can describe it as a lure for, to, for the unwary. Maybe this horrible thing will slowly but surely eat dreams of people and slowly but surely take over the world. And... The only only thing that could possibly go wrong with this disaster is if some incredibly powerful idiot was to stumble in on its plan and cause absolute chaos. Luckily, the Surely not. <laughs> um, That'll never happen. OK, I really like this book. It's written in a very, if I say Douglas Adams style, I, I'm not accusing E.L. Kennedy of anything. I'm trying to pay them a massive compliment. It feels very much like an episode of the 70s TV series, and it's got that kind of wit to it where there's this kind of sardonic kind of ongoing commentary <laughs> about the way the world is. And, you know, he E.L. Uh, Kennedy keeps jumping back to describe... What's happening with the characters' emotions and what's going on in their brains? And most of the time, the characters are going, "I have no idea what's going on. I'm feeling a bit confused. I'm feeling a bit soggy because it's raining. I need a cup of tea." And, and this kind of running commentary, which includes the, the, how the doctor's brain works as well. Um, oh, you we never
2: want to know that. Could
0: oh, oh it, it's marvelous because this kind of running commentary kind of builds builds this world where it's quite a simple story. Horrible thing is going to destroy the world. Doctor comes along and fixes it, but mm, because it's because it's messing around with people's minds, there's a whole you know set of levels and set of revelations. There's a wonderful twist about three quarters of the way through, where the story is just about to end on a kind of ah, and then a minor character turns around and goes, "Actually, no, I have a better idea," and it all goes horribly wrong again. Mm-hmm. That's not a spoiler. That's a Doctor S- Doctor Who episode. It does actually feel. There's about, about shall I say, about ooh, 60% of the way through. It feels like there's a, like a, a mini filler episode stuff going on, where they're just running around doing stuff. But that's marvellous. It works. The story is still interesting. But those limitations of the original TV show... You know, the Doctor Who TV show occasionally had budget limitations, it occasionally had well, it had a lot of budget limitations, and it also <laughs> had to stretch itself <laughs> out, and there's a bit where the story itself feels like it's stretching itself out on purpose, because it's trying to feel like an episode of Doctor Who Yeah. and even though it stretches itself out it still works, and you're still entertained, and you still want to read, so you're sitting there going hey, this this is a bit flabby, but you know what, that's fine, because it's a Doctor Who story it's been set up as a Doctor Who story there's a whole scene um, in, uh, in a sauna I'm not going to, uh, into any further descriptions, but you can see the bad BBC special effects. <laughs> <laughs> you can see how you know you, you could see how they would shoot that. You can see in your head if you know the show. You can see how they would make that happen. It's terrifying the way it's written. You're like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. But your brain is just going, yeah, they would totally use plasticine. Uh, you, you can you can just imagine the whole thing as a Doctor Who novel written for Doctor Who fans. This is brilliant. As a general novel, for people who are kind of familiar with the show and not so so much familiar with the show, Mm -hmm. yeah, they'd quite like it. It works as a standalone story. There's no no set kind of piece of canon there. Um, The companions who turn up aren't going to be permanent. You know this. Um, You kind of hope that they turn up again, because this does sometimes happen in Doctor Who books. But let's face it. These characters are kind of. There's a bunch of characters that we meet that you're like. I'd like to meet them again, but it doesn't matter if I don't because they are kind of cool the way they are. So. Oh, and there's jelly babies, of course.
2: Of course. See, the interesting thing about writing a spin-off novel is that you have basically got an infinite budget, haven't you? True. But so you can make anything yeah,
0: happen. Yeah, but what Ill Kennedy does is they keep it to the spirit. They, they stick to the spirit Which of the. Which is nice. I like that. Uh, there's a wonderful bit where we see another spaceship, and you just you just think that's totally BBC budget. The BBC Model um, you can see it all wobbling on the string.
2: Because
0: <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> uh, it's, it's like, oh, sorry about the engines. And you're just like, no, I can see why that would be wobbling on the string. So, um, shall I get to the end of this review? Shall I yeah. Get to the so, it is Doctor Who by Al Kennedy. It's uh, The Droston's Curse. And that will be on BBC Books and that's coming out in July It's possibly in association
2: with Penguin Random House Yes Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But the internet is being quite mysterious about that book which is why I'm not social mediaing it
0: Okay
1: So we've got an interview coming up next, don't we?
0: We do indeed, we will be talking to uh, The Ferret If you have ever read a webcomic called Home the Lestrange then you'll know who he is (music) So I got to talk to the Ferret Steinmetz about his latest novel, which is available via Angry Robot. Um, It's a lot of fun. You'll find out all about it when you listen to the interview, which is coming up now. Ferret Steinmetz, welcome to the Bookworm. Hello, good to be here. So what can you tell us about your new book? Okay, Uh, it's called
3: Flex. It's available from Angry Robot now. Um, And the pitch is basically what it seems to be getting a lot of... uh, hubbub about is its magic system which is based on obsession and the way magic works in flex is that uh if you're a crazy cat lady and you have been hoarding all of your cats like there's nobody's business and you've got a house full of them uh there's a possibility that you fall through the event horizon and become a crazy cat lady mentor and start doing crazy cat lady magic um so basically any hobby can generate its own kind of magic uh you know there are bureaucromancers, the lead character of it is uh obsessed with paperwork and believes the, uh, that you know the government is a great way of accomplishing things with all of its forms and things. There's a video game mancer who uh, basically can go Grand Theft Auto and commit huge and stellar acts of violence. Uh, there are origami mancers, there are bodybuilding mancers. Basically, almost any kind of hobby you can imagine or obsession can create its own kind of magic that gets used. So what are the core characters? Well, basically I told you what the magic system is, but the actual story uh, of Flex is that there is uh, a father and his daughter gets burned uh, horribly in an accident. And it turns out that uh, he's not quite good enough with his bureaucratic magic in order to be able to get her the funds she needs to get her reconstructive surgery. And because novelists are evil, eventually he has to go and start brewing magical drugs in order to try to save her life. So there's a paradox there of... um, Basically, a very good man who believes in righteousness and paperwork is justice and the thing that helps innocent people brewing drugs to get enough money to try to help his daughter. Um, that's inspired directly by my clashes with the American health care system. Uh, at one point, I had uh, a sister-in-law who had a deadly disease, and the insurance company was basically jerking around as much as possible, refusing claims that we had filled out correctly, um, basically stopping the drugs that she was getting all in the hopes that she would just quietly pass away so they wouldn't have to shell out uh, a quarter million dollars for her operation. Uh, And I thought, what would happen if somebody really was able to try to fix that magically? And so the story winds up not being about him trying to save his sister-in-law, but in fact uh, his six-year-old daughter, uh, a spunky uh, mixed-race child, who is really the star of the book in many ways. So, yeah, the inspiration comes a lot from real
0: life in my case. Reminds me a bit of Unknown Armies.
3: Uh, Yes, actually, Unknown Armies is a huge influence. Uh, In case you're not familiar with it, uh, Unknown Armies is a role-playing game, a very fundamentally influential role-playing game, uh, where also magic stems from obsession, though in slightly different ways. Um, And in fact, I was so uh, inspired by Unknown Armies that uh, I went to one of the co-creators of it, John Scott Tynes, and I asked him for a blurb for the book. And thankfully, he liked it quite a bit. So I'm Unknown Armies approved. But yes, if you like Breaking Bad, um, it's uh, very closely related to Breaking Bad in some ways, although the hero is less of a jerk. Uh, It's also been uh, uh, referred to as Breaking Bad meets Scott Pilgrim saves the world. What's next? Uh, The next big project is actually the sequel to uh, Flex. It spins off some events that uh, happened at the end of it, and it's called The Flux. And basically, it deals with even crazier magic as... uh, Paul attempts to find a haven for uh, his band of friendly mentors that he has gathered
0: together. Many of our listeners will know you from home on the strange. Do you have any other graphic novel work planned?
3: I would love to do more graphic novel work. The problem is finding an, uh, finding an artist to work with me. Um, the web comics don't pay terribly well, not when you start out. Uh, if you get something like Levels of Something Positive or Schlock Mercenary, uh, you can earn quite a bit of money. But until then basically asking an artist full-time saying hey would you work with me i'm going to be calling all the word shots and you draw what i tell you for no money has not proved to be a workable paradigm that i've done that and uh, co-writing something is, comes with its own issues so the hope is that i get there someday but it hasn't happened quite yet
0: why is fantasy so popular now Um,
3: Well, I think the the honest version is the real world is so scary at this point that we're turning inwards to other kinds of fantasies. Um, You know, in in light of everything sort of falling apart internationally and there's ISIS and always a terrorist threat and other things, it's actually kind of a relaxation to get down to just something completely fantastical and get away with it. Um, That said, it's interesting because there's been a, a shift in fantasy recently where it's sort of turned away from vampires and escapism towards more fundamental questions. Uh, I was having this discussion with an author friend of mine the other day. If you look at things like say uh, Max Gladstone's books or some of Sean McGuire's books, it's turns magic actually turns out to be a question of responsibility of power. And you start looking and saying, okay, if you have this tremendous ability to say, turn a house into cheese whiz with a wave of your hand, what does that mean? What are you, what are you, what is your responsibility to make the world better with that kind of power? Um, So I think you're seeing an interesting transition because in the beginning it was a lot of candy fantasy, uh, you know, and you can actually see that directly in the Harry Potter series where the beginning books were just sort of nice escapism and then as it went down it just kept getting darker and darker and engaging more with real world problems. Um, So yeah, you're seeing a lot of evolution of fantasy right now as we're both escaping and slowly grappling with real world ideas.
0: You've done a lot of online work. Has technology changed the game when it comes to publishing? Uh, both easier and harder um,
3: The issue with writing is now you can self-publish Which is something that has never ever been able to happen before In the history of mankind, at least not efficiently uh, My stepfather self-published like a book of his poetry many years ago But he published like you know 300 copies and handed them out to people on the street It didn't go that far and never would have uh, Unless a major official publisher picked him up Now you've got something where you can publish something on your journal And that'll go out, and if it's popular enough you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people will read it, and suddenly you've got Fifty Shades of Grey hitting the theaters. Um, The downside is it makes everything a lot more noisy. Uh, There's a lot of talk by publishers uh, uh, about—by authors, I should say— about dismantling the gatekeepers, you know, because they look at Random House and they look at all the big publishers as though there's some sort of force keeping new authors out. And the truth is that there's so many authors right now, it's often hard to find a way to rise above the static, Um, which means as an author— You know, It was hard enough getting into publishing where you had to just impress one editor to buy your book. Now, in this case, you're actually trying to impress everybody on the Internet, which is both marvelous because it allows for stories that could never be told before and allows authors to make money directly in a way that they never could have before. But at the same time, it's also far more likely that you're going to publish something and just have it lost against the literally hundred thousands of other books that it got published that year.
0: Is there a particular franchise you'd like to
3: write for? Oh, Lord, yes. Um, my wife and I are nerdy enough that 20 years ago, we met a chatting in an online Star Wars forum, um, and we, we just chatted and argued about Star Wars for five years before we finally realized we were falling in love because we're nerds and not terribly good at this. Um, and so if I got a chance to write a Star Wars novel, my wife would literally strangle me if I did not take it. Um, that said, the other person that I could write for all day is if I got a chance to write for Farscape, uh, the Jim Henson series, I absolutely love the dynamic between everybody on that show. And I would just write Aaron and Crichton like there was no tomorrow. What would your big dream project be? My big dream project would actually at this point be to try to tell the entire story of, uh, Flex that I have running here, which sounds a little bit self-serving, but, um, I've sold two books. I have Flex and The Flux is the sequel coming out in October. And I have an option for a third book and possibly even a fourth. But my brain is currently spending all of its time going, you should just write them now. You have all of these cool ideas. So my hope is that I actually get a chance to take all the cool ideas my brain is giving me, even though I don't want them, and to somehow be paid and have them connect with fans.
0: If you were trapped on Desert Island and only had one book for company, what would that be? Hmm. I'm going to go with Ken Follett's The Pillars of the Earth, because not
3: only is it one of my favorite books of all time, it's a book that involves uh, a bunch of medieval um, people building a church. So there's a ton of architecture and uh, hidden things on how to actually build buildings stuck in there. So I might actually be able to build myself a house, because otherwise I'm completely incompetent at actually any kind of physical labor.
0: Simpsons or Futurama? Simpsons.
3: I like Futurama. The characters hate each other. At least sometimes in The Simpsons they get along.
0: Warcraft or Warhammer?
3: Oh, neither. I can't, uh, I can't play World of Warcraft because I need a game that ends. Otherwise I will play it infinitely. And uh, Warhammer I love, but uh, I've tried painting and basically it just comes out looking like some sort of bizarre clown massacre whenever I try to paint a figure.
0: And finally, truth or beauty?
3: Oh, truth every time. If you're going to be in the Matrix, give me the pills that lets me see all the crappy stuff and eat your bad food. I need to know what's going on.
1: Welcome back, you're listening to Starburst Podcast, The Bookworm, I'm Nympha Hayes and I'm here with the lovely Ed.
0: Hello everyone.
1: Uh, You've just listened to the Ferret interview or you've just missed it.
0: Uh, And that's a flex, I believe, it's out on Angry Robot now, you should read it.
1: You should totally read it. Um, That was a lot of fun actually, I enjoyed that.
0: He's a he's a, a right laugh. You should read *Home and the Stranger* if you've not seen
1: it. Mm, I shall. So, second review of the day, and I'm going to be talking about *The Fire Sermon* by Francesca Hay. It's published by Harper Voyager, and it's a ooh post-apocalyptic dystopian fantasy. Does that cover it? And there's a lot of those around. It's right. So uh, first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the book, and then I'll tell you what I think. Okay. I think I think that that's a fair compromise. So, what's the book about? Um, in a, a few hundred years, where the the story set, um, the human race has gone through a lot. <laughs> so the world is uh, much much different from what we we experience. Um, at one point. Uh, most of the population could not reproduce, and then something changed, and suddenly twins were born. Mm-hmm. And um, the first time, uh, of of course, you know, there's, there's two twins, always a boy and a girl. Um, one twin is always perfect. One twin is always not. So there is a malformation, a deformation, a an issue with with uh, f- usually it's a physical issue uh, so the first time that twins are born they'll think oh great you know there's two yeah hey and then it happens again and then 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 they realize okay this isn't just a coincidence this is it That this is what what we've become so every time someone has a child it's always twins it's always a boy and a girl And always one is perfect and the other one has an issue. And so a new um, social distinction happens. Whereas uh, two factions are created. One is the alphas, the perfect ones, the ones that will lead society. And one is the omegas, which is the, the, the dredges of society, people that aren't normal i say that with um uh, quotes even though you can't see me Um, (laughs) um so they might be born with three eyes one hand three legs um some of them will have an eye missing some of them will have an ear missing some of the deformations are bigger than others and they're treated as poison they're there's a lot of superstition and fear about these uh, malformed twins um so the way that that society approaches it is obviously the alphas um are worthy of carrying on uh, while the omega have taken the taint and the poison because of what we've done to to our society and what we've done to human race and uh, because we're purging what happened in the before um because they're now living in the after so before and after are basically before this cataclysm caused by mankind happened and after is what what is up happening in the now of the book and so there's the, the always always is the separation uh however they can't just get rid of the omegas because if one twin dies the other dies as well if one twin suffers great pain, the other does as well. So they have to keep the omegas as safe or relatively as they can so that the alphas can live their life in, in, in happiness and, and, and contentment while the others struggle to get food on the table. Uh, but they're always, you know, kept alive. And the, 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 the that's the, the, the working term is alive not necessarily living just alive so the story revolves around two twins Cass and Zach and there's a difference about them too Cass they're both perfect there's no physical differences it's not the first time it's happened but it's really hard to separate them so their family at first is happy that they get to keep both of the children as long as possible always expecting that eventually one of them will show their their deformation so that the, the, the formity sorry so that they can be separated um, but it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen and so these twins stay together for years where normally um, they would either be separated at birth or very soon after obviously this causes a lot of issues we know that Cass is the one that's different because she tells us as um, the narrator of the story that since she's very little she has visions she's a seer a very strange type of deformity it's not physical it's mental Um, there's very few seers and they can see both past and the future so they get given visions of what happened they get given visions of this fire explosion that destroyed everything and they have to live with it but Cass is really clever so she gets to hide the fact that she's a seer for many years obviously her twin um kind of resents this he can't prove that she's different but she has to live at the edges of society because nobody knows which one of them is the different one and so they grow up together in this love and hate relationship where Cass just wants to be with her family and and be with them as as long as she can because she knows eventually she'll make Uh, the wrong step and show herself what she is whilst her twin just wants her to go away so he can start living his life as an alpha eventually she does get found out and um, she gets sent away to a little village where she manages to make a little life for herself until one day some a bunch of men come and take her away and put them in what are called keeping rooms and hide her away in a room in a box, barely seeing the sunlight for four years until she gets a little plant together and manages to escape. So I'm gonna leave it at that as an introduction to the story. Um, did I enjoy it? This is a really hard book to read. It's it's not because it's it's hard to read in itself, as in it's it's very well written it flows, it's very descriptive, it's one of those books where, although there's a lot of description about the world around you and the people and, you know, everything that Cass sees, um, it's quite, it grips you, so you want to read about that, you want to see what she's seen, you want to experience the world, it's the the actual theme of the book that is hard because it's a really harsh look into the human mind and heart uh it's a harsh look into morals and what's right what's wrong um into fear and what it does to people uh and what it creates in society it it reading it in the last sort of week was a an exercise in in sort of keeping calm and 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 sort of not not letting go to like all of the bad things that we can be as human beings uh reading about you know this this young girl trying to make it into the world even though she's been branded from birth to be this she can't be anything else she's an omega she will always be an omega it doesn't matter where she goes she has a brand to show it on her forehead so nobody can ever treat her any different than what she is and it's like looking into our society right now and seeing how we see people for what they look like are you thin are you fat are you black are you white are you you know are you dressed a certain way uh are you are you you know do you say certain things and and it's this sort of pushing these people away because we are so afraid of what they represent uh, to the point of paranoia um it reminded me, it's funny, it reminded me a lot, and, and I sort of sense that there's going to be a, a lot of books that revolve around this theme. Um, Memory of Water is that kind of feel of this is who we are now, is this where we're going?
0: It's it's a good time to be a dystopian fiction writer. It, it really, really is.
1: is. It really is. But not just that, it's, it's dystopian to the level of this isn't a far-fetched thing. You know, if you if you project yourself into you know three to five hundred years in the future, we could be in this world. We could be in the world of memory of water. It isn't that far fetched. Um, nuclear powers and and, and weaponization um, could take us to the fire sermon world. Just like you know, uh, ignoring environmental issues could take us to the world of um, memory of water. So it is that that fear of, of is this where we're all headed and um, so that, that's why it was so hard because you know you just recognise some of these things as something we're leaving right now and you know all it takes is one ripple for us to take us there. somewhere
0: else so who's it by what's it called and what's it on
1: so it's the fire sermon by francesca Haig. it's published by Harper voyager it's a wonderful and very very intense dystopian um, post-apocalyptic um, fantasy book uh, pick it up please
0: So, um, I think, given what's gone on, I think we should talk about dystopian fiction. I mean, Doctor Who isn't really about dystopian fiction. No, Doctor- but it
1: is about choices. I it think. is. It's about. I mean, the Doctor is always the one that looks at people and see their potential.
0: Well, he's he's a presenter of anthology stories. I think is the way to describe mm. Doctor Who stories. You can tell anything in context of a Doctor Who story. And they've done dystopian fiction. I mean, mm. uh, at Turn Left is an episode where it all goes absolutely wrong. Mm. Uh, your world about the Doctor and it's all horrible and dark. And the Daleks themselves come from a post apocalyptic post nikana war war. Mm. They they you know, they they've have you even done silly things with Betty Bassett and Ice Cream Men and this sort of thing which is but metaphors for the for the 80s yeah. and for Thatcherism it, and it is
2: a thing isn't it, if, if you change one thing very slightly and it all this is what happens well, that's, it's that's, it's sort of a warning isn't it what's, what's the word I'm looking for there, I'm grasping for a phrase and utopian, dystopian no 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 I'm grasping for, I've come it, back to it I'll, I'll come back round to my head on. <laughs> but
0: the thing with Doctor Who is it's always been a reflection of the times mm. to an extent I mean less so now because it's yeah. a much slicker but early Doctor Who is certainly Tom. B. Dr. Who was a reflection of the times. One of the things that was happening during the UK election, because, uh, sorry American listeners, um, Joffrey's on the fourth throne again again, um, but one of the things that was happening uh, during that was various uh, book writing friends of ours, various lit types were like, well, it's going to be a cracking another five years of dystopian fiction. And what we were just seeing this morning.
2: I, so I, I know I'm kind of okay with sacrificing that. Really. <laughs> I hate to say it.
0: But we've had i mean fire sermon came out last year um we've had memory of water yeah. we've had station 11 and yeah. okay things are better in america but you know we've had a fair rough ride of it and we seem to be getting many many more darker dystopian cynical almost stories
1: yeah but it it is all about what if we had made a different choice you know few hundred years ago and then we wouldn't be here that that's what i read with both for example memory of water and the fire Ceremonies. it's that we made a one very wrong choice and everything's just changed and 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 the way we are is completely different and worse worse in so many ways
0: so you're saying that in fact Many dystopian works are a celebration of our successes and avoiding potential doom so thus far.
1: Well, it's it's a it's it's an sort of like a lock into this is what we are and will be at our darkest if we continue making the wrong choices. That's the sort of that's the phrase I was I was aiming for. (laughs) (laughs) That I win.
0: Uh, An alternate future histories. Well, I suppose it's a science fiction. It's speculative fiction. Well, you it's speculative, speculative
1: fiction, absolutely. But it is it that speculative though? This is what I was getting at before. These books aren't a, you know, a thousand years in the future. we in, you know, it's it's not science fiction they say is what
0: could be but a lot of science fiction is like that it's speculative fiction margaret atwood keeps doing this uh, you did this thing she stopped doing it now but she used to do this thing where she used to be all oh i don't read science fiction science fiction is space opera it's like science fiction is not space opera 1984 yeah. is science fiction you know it's it's anything that is set further in the future where you speculate what's going on is Fiction, speculative fiction, and yeah, okay, you can sit there and go. Well, there's different types of science fiction, isn't there? Red? Yes, there is. And sometimes, sometimes you get these really johnny kind of far, far, far future stories. Sometimes you get these really dark far future stories. Mm. You can still use those as a metaphor for for the day to day. It's just easier, like with Station Eleven. Mm. It's just easier to end our world, uh, restart another world, and use that as a reflection of what's happening. Mm. Uh, a Handmaid's Tale, mm. a handmaid's yeah. handmaid's
2: which tale. I still haven't read. I know I'm, t- I'm a terrible person.
0: Is, is, is in part a lecture on the dangers of the patriarchy, in part a lecture on the dangers of the Christian right, and also just an examination of you know the, the balance of the sexes and of a dystopian world.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, it's a fantastic book. Is it science fiction?
1: Yeah. I think that the 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 difference for me is when you go into another world, uh, you can almost almost ignore. The repercussions that can have in in us as a society right now, when it's set and you know it's set in this world and what we've done to it, it kind of hits a spot harder. It, does that make sense?
0: You never look at Star Wars and think, wow. What happens if we have a galactic empire? Yeah, you never, you, you very rarely look at Star Wars. You and look think, at
1: the people and the the people's experiences, so you can relate to that. But the world is so different that it, it you can look at it as a spectator. But w- with these books, like The Fire Sermon, because it's the latest one I've read, you can't do that. You're sitting there thinking, "Oh, is this where it's all going?" Oh my God, you can actually sort of feel it, and it hits you
0: with, with something like Star Wars. The, the empire are action. The empire are action adventure bad guys, mm-hmm. and yes, they look like Nazis. Yes, they dress like Nazis, and they all have English accents. <laughs> <laughs> but, Therefore, plainly evil in movie language. But at no point do you, do you ever sit there and you go, "Oh my God, what if World War Two had ended differently?" You just don't think about it because you know they're shorthand for taboos, mm-hmm. and, and we don't do that. Whereas Memory Report is a good example, where it's about. Branching off from, as you say, a different, it's a taking different sort the wrong of life. turn, and
1: here we are. Na- so yeah, 1984
0: is an example of. I would, I always argue, argue this, and I get it stared at normally by English, <laughs> English literature professors. But um, yeah, 1984 is science fiction. It's absolutely science fiction. It's than fiction. Mm. It's mostly about politics. It's mostly about human beings, but it's also about you know, people use technology to oppress each other. Mm-hmm. Um. It's such a it's such a cheerful and jolly subject, really. When we're, we're getting <laughs> into it,
1: yeah, which which is why I would recommend if you're if you're you know going through a a political and social transition, just just you know give yourself another another week or two before you peak it <laughs> up.
0: There is a place. This is one of the things that I get, I get really annoyed when people get sniffy about fun. Um, there is a place for the Drosten's Curse. The Drosten's Curse is a great. Fun adventure novel where with with the Doctor, it's a nice piece of fantasy. There's a bit of an examination of the human condition, but you know that's kind of just to the side when it comes to the fact that the Doctor's running around giving people jelly babies. And and you, it, not every single science fiction novel has to be worthy to be good. You don't constantly have to be banging that that drum. Some authors will always do it. I mean, I'm a fan of Cameron Hurley, but there's not a single piece of work written by Cameron Hurley that I've sat there and I've been able to go, do you know what, I can just relax with this and just have fun with the characters. Because there's always a message being drummed into my thick skull at some level and at some point. And that's fine and that's good, and we should have those books. But do you know what, we should also have fun.
2: Hands are
0: playing the strangest musical instrument in the world. The only instrument that is not touched by hands. You ask for it. The Fab Radio. Well we better go, so I've been your host, Ed Fortune. And I've
1: been your host,
2: The bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Lympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson.